Wow, this is really happening, isn't it? <laughs> so I'm Bonnie. Um, I have a family picture to show you because when you talk, you get to show pictures of your family. So this was this past weekend. We went and got a Christmas tree up in the mountains with some friends of ours. So you can see my husband, Jeremy. Kayla is seven and Jonathan is five. By nature, I am a rule follower. I'm a perfectionist. I'm pretty driven. And I am a planner and organizer. So I organized this talk a couple days after agreeing to it. What you're hearing tonight is nothing like what I had planned. You see, I think the instant I agreed to speak, I got a sore throat. I lost my voice for a few days, which is terrifying when you're about to speak in front of everyone. This familiar feeling came over me because when you're sick for a few days and you have two small children, your house looks like a bomb went off in it. <laughs> I had piles of laundry, piles of dishes, I knew my husband was going out of town. I didn't know how I was going to do this. And it's a very familiar feeling to what I felt a few years ago. There is a song worn by 10th Avenue North. I'm going to read you some of the lyrics. It says, I'm tired, I'm worn, my heart is heavy from the work it takes to keep on breathing. I've made mistakes. I've let my hope fail. My soul feels crushed by the weight of this world. But I know that you can give me rest. So I cry out with all that I have left. Let me see redemption win. Let me know the struggle ends. That you can mend a heart that's frail and torn. I want to know a song can rise from the ashes of a broken life. That all that is dead inside can be reborn. Because I'm worn. I know I need to lift my eyes up, but I'm too weak. Life just won't let up. And it goes on to say, I'm worn even before the day begins. And I was there. Most of my life had been a pretty good life. I was raised in the church. I was a good rule follower. I avoided a lot of drama in my life. Jeremy and I got married, and again with the pictures, that's us when we got married. Aww, he was so young. <laughs> we had a couple babies. So here's Kayla when she was a newborn. Again, when you speak, you get to show these things. And that's Jonathan when he was born. I know, they're cute. So when Jonathan was about eight months, taking pictures of me. <laughs> when Jonathan was about eight months, things started happening. At first, the washer went out. No big deal. We got a new one. We actually joked about it because Kayla was potty training at that time, and we figured it just gave up. <laughs> and then my mom and dad separated, and that wasn't such a little thing for me. It was a really confusing time because I was getting very different stories from each side. And I didn't know which one was right. I had a lot of people calling me throughout the day asking which story to believe. I was exhausted. Jeremy was in school. And so he was gone most nights. Jonathan was eight months old. 
he wasn't sleeping through the night yet. He was a horrible sleeper. And when Jeremy was home, he was really supportive. And so he told me to go to the store and just relax. He and I fought a little bit over who would take Jonathan, because he was eight months old. And, you know, we talked about it. I went to the store. And it was so nice to just walk through Craft Warehouse by myself. <laughs> so I got back out to the car, and I heard baby cries. See, I won the battle, and I had taken Jonathan. And I didn't know it was 90 degrees that day. I ran to the car, I unlocked it, and I tore him out, and he was sweating, which I knew was a good sign. I called Jeremy, asking him whether or not I should call an ambulance. I looked for police, because that's what I knew I deserved. I took him home, took his temperature, and he was okay. But I wasn't. To avoid having to lose it in front of Kayla, I locked myself in my bedroom, and I cried out to God. Why did you let me be a mother when you knew I would do this? I wanted my son so much, but I wasn't taking care of him well. I was a failure as a mother. God interrupted me and he said, Bonnie, I love you and I love your kids more than you do. And when you can't care for them, I promise I'll look after them. You know, I don't know why God extended that mercy to me. I know I didn't deserve it. But he did. And so I like to say that Jonathan was given to me twice by God. But the feeling of being a failure continued. The year wasn't done yet. My elderly neighbors who lived across the street, they were the ones that I always would go to if something were to happen. You know, you have that emergency plan in your head. You see, he's a Vietnam vet, and she um, was scarier than he was. <laughs> <laughs> they went for a drive, and after two weeks of searching for them, they were found at the bottom of a ravine in Boise County. Neither of them had survived. Our air conditioner went out. That cost about $5,000. Our cars weren't working very well. That cost about $3,000. My brother was admitted to the hospital around Thanksgiving time with sepsis and lactic acidosis. He almost didn't make it. And he was the only one who understood how I felt with my parents. And that was the same day that we were going to be telling my dad that my mom was seeking a divorce. Month after that, my husband got rear-ended, totaling our car. By the end of the year, we had racked up $15,000 worth of emergency bills. I'll tell you, we didn't have $15,000 of emergency money saved up. Everything that I looked to for security was being crossed off the list, and I didn't even realize that I was finding such security in them. But I wasn't alone. God saw me at the lowest point, and he surrounded me with friends 
to walk through all of this with. Another year went by, and I was just exhausted. And people were writing it off as, you know, you have two small children. I'll tell you, I could not make it past two o'clock without taking a nap. My hair was falling out. I went to doctors and I had no answers whatsoever. Lots of blood drawn, no answers. I had had the same thing happen when I was 12. And I caught everything that was around me. For nine months straight, I went from sickness to sickness to sickness to sickness. I urged all my friends to stay away because I didn't want to get their family sick. And I was pretty lonely. But my mom would not allow me to push her away. And so she entered in helping take care of me and the kids because my husband was still in school during this point. People offered a lot of platitudes saying, oh, things will get better. And God never gives you more than you can handle. I'll tell you the truth. Nowhere in scripture does God say he gives you no more than you can handle. He says, you know, I will not tempt you allow temptation into your life past an escape route. I will give you an escape route, but God has to allow more than you can handle or else you would never reach out for him. I was really low. I struggled taking care of my kids. I was a stay-at-home mom who couldn't take care of her kids. I felt like I had no worth. Now, I know this is pretty heavy. You're just getting to know me. I want you to know that our God sees you in that. And I know I'm not the only person in this room who has felt that worn feeling. You see, we as women hold ourselves to impossible standards. We create the superwoman in our head. We take every friend we have on Facebook, take the best quality, merge it into a person that we attain to be. I want to know how many of you guys, when you walked in today looked at what everyone else was wearing and how you fit in. We compare. During this time, whenever I felt well enough, I would go to our growth group. And at that time, we were going through Gospel and Life by Timothy Keller, a video series. And he talked about the prodigal son. Now, I grew up in the church. I've heard the story of the prodigal son a thousand times, but he had a very different take on it. See, I always identified with the good son, the one who followed the rules, who, you know, didn't ask for the inheritance, who was a little grumpy that his brother got a party. I kind of thought, yeah, I would be too. (laughs) And Timothy Keller said, you know, that good son was the same in the sight of God's eyes as the prodigal son. I know. But you see, self-righteousness has the same God as wickedness. It's all yourself. It leaves no room for God. Timothy Keller also did the best study on idols I had ever done. He gave you a hint, and it was filling in the blank. I am only worthy if blank. For me, it was productivity. My idol was work. I did not know I was living according to the law. 
but I wanted to do something about it. I'd identified it. I wanted to do something. And so Timothy Keller quotes Thomas Chambers in saying, the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. You see, God is more than happy to fill that. When you try to turn away from an idol, he will fill that right up. Not to say that I haven't kicked him out and tried to do the work thing again. I'll probably struggle with it my whole life. But at least I know that I need to keep working on it. Finally, at the age of 33, the concept of grace finally went from my head to my heart. Our growth group then went through Francis Chan's crazy love, and he urged his readers to read the gospel as if you had never read it before. Forget every sermon, forget every study you've done, just read it and see what Jesus says. And me, being a rule keeper, I looked for the ways that I'm supposed to live my life. <laughs> there was one rule I found. Love God, love others. One word, love. My rules were getting in the way of it. I then read Radical by David Platt, and I'll take you through a progression of quotes that I read in that book. The first one, in talking about his own church, he said, We were settling for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves when the central message of Christianity is abandoning ourselves. See, I had a desire to be fed. I wanted to be fed by the church. But I didn't know that life happens when you feed. Number two, followers of Christ are not guaranteed that even their most basic need of shelter will be met. Jen Hatmaker talks to this. She says, if it's not true for every Christian in the whole world, it's not truth. See, I kind of thought if I follow Christ, I would be blessed, right? Monetary blessings. Not true. Number three, the gospel confronts us with the hopelessness of our sinful condition. That year was pretty hopeless for me. Number four, the salvation now consists of a deep wrestling in our souls with the sinfulness of our hearts, the depth of our depravity, and the desperation of our need for his grace. And number five, we realize that we are not just to be forgiven of our sins or to be assured of our eternity in heaven, but we are saved to know God, so we yearn for him. See, I was always trying to get to heaven or have my sins forgiven. I was missing God. And boy, did I need him. So life isn't linear. Lots of things happen at the same time. So I'll let you know what was going on in the background as I'm reading these books. A friend of ours, Brent Angelos, he's actually the pastor um, at Rev 22 downtown. He went to the Philippines with Wipe Every Tear. Wipe Every Tear is a Boise-based organization that goes into the bars in the Philippines, offers girls a life of a nice home to live in, three meals a day, an allowance to send to their relatives in the province, and a college education. You see, in the Philippines, there are no entry-level jobs. 
You need a four-year college degree for everything. To work at McDonald's, you need a Bachelor of Science in Hotel Restaurant Management. They were stuck. There was no option for them. Here's a picture of Walking Street. On this street, it's a one-mile stretch in Angeles City, there are 15,000 women who are trapped in the sex trade. It's become a sex tourist destination for us Americans. Next, wipe every tear was the outreach for our women's night out. So I started to learn more. Then, E.B., who works with Wipe Every Tear, came and spoke at our mom-to-mom group. And then, Kenny, the founder of Wipe Every Tear, came and spoke at our growth group. And through that, some of us started to support the ministry, and I started following them on Facebook. But Jeremy was still in school. There was no way I could leave. And it was not the right timing. But I had this desire to love and desire to serve the community. See, I'd lived in this Christian bubble my whole life. I wanted to break out of it and serve. And so I have a heart for homeless people because I think we're all just a couple paychecks away from their situation. And so another guy in our growth group felt the same way. So we as a growth group went down and decided to serve the homeless. It was about one degree that morning. It was about 11 degrees when we got there. We wandered and wandered and after about an hour, found this one man. <laughs> we surrounded him. Luckily, half the group had the thoughtfulness to keep going, so we didn't just, I don't know, overwhelm him. And we got to hear about his family, his exes, his kids, why he wasn't in the shelter. We got to give him all the stuff we took with us, because we all brought stuff with us. And I think... God allowed us to meet that one man to just keep encouraging us to go. But all the rest of the homeless people were well taken care of in the shelters, nice and toasty. And then I thought, food pantries, they always need help. So I made some phone calls. I became number 40 on the waiting list. They were taken care of too. Nothing seemed to fit. I was getting a little frustrated. And Jen Hatmakers interrupted. She actually talks to this. She says, perhaps this applies to you, good reader. God may be leading you away without a clear final destination yet. As maddening as that is, could it be that he needs you to release what was before you can appropriately grasp what will be? Could it be that you might accidentally squash the lovely vision if you obtain it too soon? So time passes. Jeremy graduated, got his MBA. Life was good. And on Facebook, I'm scrolling down, and I see that Wipe Every Tear is announcing the girls' getaway, too. The girls' getaway is where you go into Angeles City for a few days, and then you invite the girls to a five-day vacation in Puerto Galera. It's an island down from where they are. It's a time to just relax, sleep, because of our girls' hours are from 4 p.m. till 4 a.m., to stay away from men. It's a girls-only trip for a few pastors and Kenny. And just relax. I applied. I was accepted. And I started to freak out. 
And so I started to plan. But Wipe Every Tear is very stingy with their details. I think they actually want you to go on faith or something. <laughs> and so I did the next best thing is I started to read books to prepare. And I actually don't regret doing that. I read Jen Hatmaker's Interrupted. And see, at this time, I still lived in a very American bubble. I'd traveled to Germany, but it's practically America. Who are we kidding? There are some statistics in Jen Hatmaker's Interrupted about the world. It says of the 6 billion people on planet Earth, about 1.2 billion live on 23 cents a day. Half the world lives on less than $2.50 a day. The wealthiest 1 billion people average $70 a day. If you make $35,000, you're in the top 4%. If you make $50,000, you're in the top 1% of the entire world. Someone dies of hunger every 3.6 seconds. Last year, 22 million people died of preventable diseases. 10 million of those were children. 27 million children and adults are trapped in slavery. More slaves exist today than ever before in human history. That includes this country's slave trade. More than 143 million children in the developing world have been orphaned. It's over half the population of the United States. Again, I was broken. See, as an American, when I wanted to serve people, I always tried to figure out are they going to take advantage of me? Are they just, you know, are they just going to use it to, am I perpetuating a problem if I give them money? Jen Hatmaker talks to this too. She says, we are not allowed to neglect the oppressed because we have reservations about their discernment. We cannot deny love because it might be deposed or misunderstood. We cannot withhold social relief because we are not convinced it will be properly managed. Turning a blind eye to the bottom of the population on grounds of unworthiness is the antithesis to Jesus' entire mission. Can I say that last sentence again? Turning a blind eye to the bottom of the population on grounds of unworthiness is the antithesis to Jesus' entire mission. I was broken and convicted again. I also read a book called Jesus Feminist. If you can get past the title, it's a really good book. It talks about how scripture points to the unique gifts that God gave women to serve in his kingdom. I read Half the Sky. Not an easy book to read. It's about women's oppression around the entire globe. I read these books and insecurity started flooding me. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm a total introvert, so me standing here is totally God, because this is not me. I'm kind of nerdy. In case you don't believe it, I have a favorite strain of bacteria. They're the clostridiums if you want to talk about it afterwards. <laughs> and so I went for a run because I'm also one of those weird people who thinks going for a long run can be relaxing. And I poured out all these things to God. God, I'm not enough. I don't know why you called me to this. There is no way that me, 
Bonnie can go on this trip. I'm not good enough. He goes, oh, Bonnie, I've simply called you to love. That's it. All you have to do is love. Can you do that? I said, well, yeah. And I felt this weight come off of me. See, I had done it again. I had created this unattainable thing for me to reach to, to be able to serve God. And so I went. I went to Angeles City, and I'll let you know what outreach is. This is a typical team. You have part Americans, part Filipinas. I blur out their faces to maintain their dignity, um, because I'm sure you wouldn't want to be advertised throughout the world as people trapped in the sex trade. Um, Ate Becky is there, though. She um, manages the houses in the Philippines. So the bars in Angeles City are foreign-owned, so you have to have a foreigner to get into them as a Filipina girl. And then, once you're in the bar, this is some of the outreach. We actually got on the stage and chatted with some of the girls because that was the only way we could talk to them. Again, introvert, dancing on a stage in the Philippines. God's pretty funny sometimes. And so when you get into the bar, it's really handy to have someone who can speak Tagalog because the bar is really loud. We Americans speak really fast. And a lot of the girls were trafficked at a young age, so their English education didn't make it very far. So what you do, you sit up front. That way you can make eye contact with the girls. You get a drink for your team. That's your ticket to stay in the bar. And then I would look for a girl that obviously looked like she didn't want to be there. Let your waitress know that you would like to talk to her. And so she tells the mamazon who's in charge of the girls, and she shines her little laser on her belly, calling her down off the stage. She goes to the mamazon, who goes to the waitress, and then you get to talk to the girl, and then you buy her a drink, and that's your ticket to talk to her. The first night I went out, the first bar we went to, we sat down, and I didn't really know how any of this worked. We sat down, and I saw a girl I wanted to talk to. You could tell she didn't want to be there. And I'm, so I'm talking to the waitress. As, I, as I'm talking to the waitress... I see a green light flash on her belly. She was bought by a client about a minute before I could get to her. The first night of outreach, the term I use is despair. It was horrible. And I had failed that girl. So I got back to the room and I sent an email to my prayer team letting them know that I had failed, that God was wrong, and I wasn't cut out for this. See, the beautiful thing about the Philippines is when I went to bed, they woke up to that here. So they spent the time when I was asleep writing me emails, sending me scripture, encouraging me. They all seemed to know that I needed to be there. So the next morning when I woke up, all these emails were there waiting for me. So my teammate Lexi and I, we went for searching for ube ice cream. It's purple yam ice cream. It sounds better than you would think because ice cream helps. So we ate our ice cream, and we went over all the emails that we had received from our friends. 
we cried and we prayed. And by the next night, I was actually excited to go out. I met a couple girls, Felicity and Mary, and they were a little timid to agree to go on a vacation. I mean, they've been trafficked once. What's going to prevent them from being trafficked again? So we met them at Starbucks at the mall, bought them a couple frappuccinos along with all the other Filipina girls, and they decided to trust us and go. The third night, I met Kara. I was actually terrified to talk to her because I thought she might be a mamazon, and they kind of scare me. But I asked her, I'm like, so we're going to Puerto Galera for five days. Would you like to go? She goes, yeah, when? I'm like, oh, well, in about six hours, actually, we're leaving. And she goes, okay, I'd be there. And 6 o'clock a.m. came. Sure enough, she was there waiting at the bus. Here's actually a picture of me and Kara in Puerto Galera. So I got to sit by her at the bus ride, and I got to hear why she was so excited to go to Puerto Galera. She lost her family in a volcano eruption. That's why she had to work in the bars. And when her husband passed and was cremated, his ashes were sprinkled in Puerto Galera. So after the bus ride, we loaded them up all on a ferry ride. That's us heading out. It was pretty fun. The time in Puerto Galera, we just bonded with the girls. We shared meals. We talked with them. We heard their stories and told them ours. Here's a picture of us all talking together. As you can see, it's just white girl, Filipino, white girl, Filipino. We were all just friends by the end, just talking freely. And then the next one is the picture of all of us together. It was pretty awesome. See, hearing their stories, they had horrific stories. But they were marked with hope. See, they're not their past. Neither are we. We have a new future in Christ. And they know that better than I, They had a grasp on that better than I ever had. There's Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And that is who these women are. The last night in Puerto Galera was my favorite. We got all dressed up and walked down the beach to a fancy dinner of pizza and spaghetti. That's... That's their favorite stuff, I mean. But the best part of it was the pearl ceremony. All of us Americans were given bags. Each bag had a pearl necklace and a pearl bracelet. We got to put them on each Filipina girl. I'd look them in the eyes and say, I'm giving you this gift because you are so worth it. You are so loved. And it's my honor 
to have come here all the way from America just to do this for you. Here's Mary and Felicity. Mary wouldn't look. <laughs> and we were all crying. We were all a mess. It was beautiful. And then I came home. We gained possession of a house while I was gone. I don't recommend that. <laughs> um, I had to move a thousand miles an hour rate when getting home. But imagine my surprise when I'm sitting in the midst of a bunch of boxes and my iPad starts ringing. It had never done that before. And so I answered it and it was my friend Sonia. <laughs> She calls about once a week. I had never actually thanked God for Facebook before, but I didn't know you could call internationally through Facebook Messenger. So with that, I started to try to encourage the girls that I had met over there. And the verses that I was using to encourage were given back to me when we were doing So Long in Security by Beth Moore over the summer with some friends. Actually, the exact same verses that I had given a friend the day before was in my lesson. It was that God has a purpose for me, Jeremiah 29, 11, that he spent time to create me, and that was wonderful, Psalm 139, 14, and that he had good works prepared for me just to step into, Ephesians 2, 10. It was as if, as if God was saying, you know, all those verses you're given to them, do you even believe that they apply to you? It felt so good to finally love without judgment and without having to worry if I was actually going to hurt or hinder or any of that, just to love. See, that year I went through taught me compassion by seeing my own failures I was able to look past the failures of others and see their humanity. What we consider normal, average, how I view myself, God sees as part of his plan. See, I'm a perfectionist, I'm insecure, I'm a planner, and all of those are getting in the way of my ability to love people. Timothy Keller quotes Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who says, we must be ready. There should be a slide for this. There we go. We must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will constantly be canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. We may pass them by, preoccupied with our more important tasks, as the priest passed by the man who had fallen among thieves, perhaps reading the Bible. So am I special because I travel to the Philippines? Nope. I am just an average stay-at-home mom. God just made this feeling in me too hard to ignore. Actually, I was more miserable not going. But it's not for everyone, and nor should it be. We all have different giftings. And not all of us are at the point where we can travel across the world. There are so many ways that you can make an impact here. You can get to know your neighbors. You can help refugees acclimate to America. You can help foster families. One Church, One Child is an amazing organization that does that. You can work with youth 
kids, big brother, big sister. See, that's the one that terrifies me. I'd rather be in a bar in the Philippines. <laughs> the rescue mission makes it really easy. You can just say, I'd like the second Tuesday of the month every month, please, and they'll just put you in the rotation. You can visit someone who is sick, like my mom did for me. You can have meals on hand to hand to people who are going through a hard time. My mother-in-law is great with that. You can listen to people. You can tell your story. Because through shared stories, we encourage each other. You can watch people's kids. Man, single moms and moms who their husband is gone. Sometimes just half an hour walking aimlessly through a store recovers your entire week. You can write cards. You can dare to hug people. We have big bubbles in America. I have a big bubble. But dare to hug because it might be the only physical touch someone has gotten all week or all month. Write out a prayer you prayed for someone instead of just saying, I'll pray for you. Remind those around you who they are in God's eyes. Because how we see ourselves, it's not how, we see, how God sees us typically. Speak against their insecurities. There's nothing too small. So I challenge you this holiday season, there are so many obligatory things to go to. I'm a mom of two. I get it. But dare to find someone to love. When you love as a service to someone, your to-do list falls away. And that's where life is truly lived. God actually designed us. He's so smart. He designed us to get a shot of neurotransmitters every time we serve people to make us feel good. So I do this. I don't want to add anything to your plate. I want you to know that when you dare to love without any judgment, it might just be the tastiest thing you have all season. Thank you for allowing me to talk on such short notice. I'm not a world-renowned speaker. Actually, I didn't even know how to use a microphone before. So <laughs> thank you so much.